0: Welcome to the Jesus Chronicles, your crash course about the world transforming life of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Sandy Laws, and this is episode number four. In episode three, we took a look at two larger-than-life characters who shaped the world where Jesus lived. Caesar Augustus, the Roman Emperor, and Herod, The client king of the Roman province of Judea. Caesar Augustus was the most powerful man in the world at that time since he ruled the vast Roman Empire with this population of 45 million people. And while Herod's kingdom wasn't nearly as impressive, just a measly million people in Israel, he still controlled valuable territory on Rome's behalf. His allegiance to Rome served him well but caused him to be extremely disliked by his own people. I found that learning more about Herod helped me to understand the vast division that existed between Herod and the people that he governed. It wasn't just his allegiance to Rome that made people mad. It was also his questionable religious lineage and his excessive lifestyle. After decades of Roman and Herod's rule, the Jewish people, had had enough. In this episode, I'm finally zeroing in on the actual story of Jesus' birth, as told in the Bible by Matthew and Luke. Jesus's earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, grew up in Nazareth. And after their brief stint in Bethlehem and then Egypt, they moved back to Nazareth. It is the place where Jesus grew up, with his parents and half-siblings. Naturally, it is important to know more about this special family and the place where they lived. So in this episode, I explore the town of Nazareth and look at what life was like for Mary and Joseph before Jesus was born. I know this much for sure. Mary and Joseph's lives were vastly different from Herod's and Caesar's. the town of Nazareth, and the life of Mary and Joseph. Let's talk about Nazareth. It's located about 90 miles north of Jerusalem. If you visited Nazareth today, you would see a small city of about 65,000 people. The vast majority of people living there are Arab citizens of Israel, In fact, it's the largest Arab city in Israel. It also has a small Christian population. Very few Jews live there. Because it is the place where Jesus grew up, it's a thriving tourist destination. The most famous Christian site there is the Basilica of the Annunciation, a large, beautiful Catholic basilica that was built on top of the traditional site where Gabriel announced to Mary that she would conceive and give birth to Jesus. I've visited Nazareth many times and the Basilica is spectacular. It has these beautiful panels of art that depict Mary and Jesus as an infant from countries all over the world. It's stunningly beautiful. But back in the first century BC, Nazareth was a very small town. No more than 500 people lived there. And it was definitely predominantly Jewish. Nazareth was a poor town. It had no political clout or important trade commerce to fuel growth. It was located off the beaten path, so very few outsiders migrated there. Because of that, Roman and Greek culture had had very little influence on the people in Nazareth. In ancient times, it was located a few miles away from the main highway in Israel, known as the Via Maris. This was a long, well-traveled road that ran north and south along the Mediterranean Sea before turning east over the high hills of Megiddo and dropping into the Jezreel Valley. From there, it continued north all the way to Syria. From the high hills around Nazareth, the villagers could see the Via Maris and the Jezreel Valley. As is common in small towns, the people of Nazareth knew a lot about each other. Back then, people spent their entire lives in their town of origin, only traveling to conduct business, see family members in other towns, or to go to Jerusalem to participate in one of the many Jewish festivals that took place throughout the year. Life in Nazareth was all about family, faith, and plenty of hard work. The villagers of Nazareth were tradesmen, farmers, and shepherds. Small plots of land around the village were cleared of rocks and terraced, and the farmers planted grapes, olive trees, and fig trees. Shepherds kept track of their sheep and goats in the surrounding countryside. The whole family worked hard eking out a living that was just above the subsistence level. Back then only the Jewish leaders or Romans were considered wealthy. The vast majority of people lived pretty much hand to mouth. Caesar and Herod were to blame for that, since they both inflicted a crippling amount of taxes on the common person. In my mind, I picture a small, close-knit village Homes were constructed out of adobe mud and hewn stone. The houses were clustered together to form a central village. Several generations of Nazarenes would live together or next to each other. Between the tradesmen, the farmers, and the shepherds, the villagers' basic needs for food, water, and shelter were mostly taken care of. Since I'm focused on Jesus and his life, I want to know more about what life was like for his mother Mary. So let's talk about that. Mary was probably born around 20 BC. This is just an educated guess on my part, based on when Jesus was born and the customs around marriage in the ancient Jewish world. But the fact remains that there are no records of Mary's birth or the birth of Joseph. Recording a birth was only done for very prominent people, and that did not describe Mary, also, there is no physical description of Mary in the biblical text, nothing about her age or appearance, and no background information about her, such as her family, where they lived, or if she had siblings. It's sort of surprising when you think about her as the mother of Jesus, but it's not at all unusual for the time period when she lived. Of course, Hollywood loves to create all types of scenarios about Mary and her family, as do the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches, based on church traditions. And I'll tell you more in a minute about one ancient author in particular who decided to fill in the blanks about Mary's life in his pseudepigrapha book, The Infancy Book of James. The Bible introduces us to Mary this way, from Matthew's Gospel. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, 18. I don't see anything in this passage that gives me specifics about Mary. It tells me some other things, and I'll talk about that later, but this passage tells me nothing about Mary or her family. From Luke's Gospel, we have this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Luke 1, This passage tells me three things about Mary. First, she's living in Nazareth. Second, she's a virgin. And third, she's engaged to Joseph. Oh, and that she was visited by an angel, who is Gabriel. I'm definitely gonna talk more about that a little later too. The other two gospel writers, Mark and John, don't even mention Mary and the birth story at all. So why aren't there more details about Mary? We have to remember that the two gospel authors didn't think it was important to give their readers all of the background about Mary. Really, I'm not at all surprised. Biographies were very different back in the first century AD. Normally, they were written to glorify a person, not to capture every detail of a person's life, the way that we expect from a biography today. But history and archeology, span on the other hand, can tell me more about what life would have been like for Mary in Nazareth at the turn of the century. I'm going to pause and paint a portrait for you of Mary's day-to-day life. On every day, except for the Sabbath, Mary would rise early to begin her chores. Mary's mother taught her about domestic life. She knew how to spin and weave so she could make clothes and rugs. She knew how to cook something that required a lot of time throughout the day. And she knew how to tend to the crops the family planted and to the livestock that they owned. The family's home was simple, most likely a small two-story structure. On the first floor, there was a small courtyard that housed the livestock and the kitchen. The second story was where the family slept and gathered together. There wasn't much privacy in the house. Many evenings, the family would go to the rooftop to eat dinner and hang out under the night sky. As I said, Mary and her mother would manage the family's meals. This took the lion's share of the day. On a typical day, she and her mother would bake bread, prepare fish or pigeon, make cheese from sheep or goat's milk, collect honey, gather water, and harvest the crops of their small family farm. Religious rules prevented Mary and her family from eating certain foods considered to be unclean, like pigs and hares and animals that did not have cloven hooves. These rules were taught to them by the religious leaders in the village. Mary didn't go to religious school at the local synagogue. That was for boys only, but she did go to services every week. On the Sabbath, when the first three stars appeared in the night sky, the trumpet would sound, calling people from their work. When Sabbath began, supper was served. The Sabbath meal was a special meal and was prepared in advance. Special prayers were said at the table. On Saturday morning, service was held at the synagogue. A committee of local men managed the weekly service Prayers were said and the congregation joined in. After prayers, the Torah scrolls were removed from their place in the Ark. The text was written in Hebrew, though this was not the language of the local villagers. After the text was read, a sermon would be given in Aramaic. Anyone could perform this duty and no special qualifications were required. Alms were collected at the door as people left. At twilight on Saturday night, the trumpet would sound again, and the Sabbath was over. The Jewish festivals that happened throughout the year gave relief to the sameness of Mary's life. Special festivals like Passover and the Day of Atonement called for special menus and a big social gathering of the villagers. The feast always included meat, something that was absent from their day-to-day menus. The meat was prepared according to Jewish laws and cooked on a spit over a wood fire. Feast days were festive, filled with music and dancing. The whole town joined in to celebrate. Most Jews went to Jerusalem as a pilgrimage and there is no reason not to assume that Mary and her family also went there. Mary's parents began to look for a husband for her When she was young, probably 11 or 12 years old, this was the Jewish custom. Mary was expected to be betrothed or married by the time she reached puberty. Most Jewish marriages were preceded by a year's betrothal. During this time, there would be supervised interaction between the couple. There would also be much haggling between the two families over the bride's dowry. Both the bride and the groom live with their own parents during the betrothal. Well, I think that's a pretty good picture of Mary's life as a young woman living in Nazareth. Next, let's take a look at Joseph's life. Joseph also lived in Nazareth, though his ancestral family home was in Bethlehem. He was probably at least five years older than Mary, though, again, no one knows for sure, And we don't know the facts about his age or background, other than that his family came from the ancestral line of King David. Like Mary, Joseph lived in a small family home. From the age of five, he started religious school. The Pharisees in Israel had insisted that every boy in the country learn the Torah. School was held at the local synagogue. His education was completed at the age of 13, when he reached puberty and legally became a man. By then, Joseph would have known many, if not all, of the scriptures by heart. Joseph was a tradesman who apprenticed under his father. As a trained worker, including carpentry, Joseph's skills would have been in demand in the small town of Nazareth, and even more so in the small city of Sepphoris, just five miles away. King Herod was rebuilding Sepphoris into an administrative hub for the Galilee region. There was plenty of work for Joseph. He would walk to the job site with his tools or work at the family's workshop in Nazareth. It was expected that Joseph would get married. In fact, there is no word in Hebrew for bachelor. Marriage was part of the life plan for the vast majority of Jewish men. Typically, a Jewish man only had one wife, but he could have more and he could get divorced for any reason. It was common for a man to divorce a childless wife and an unfaithful wife could be stoned to death. However, there was no such punishment for an unfaithful husband. Life for both Mary and Joseph could be described as simple. In many ways, their lives were not impacted by Roman rule or even the actions of Herod. Of course, taxes were always a burden, and tax collectors were an unwelcome visitor to their village. But their day-to-day routine stayed the same year after year. It's not like the Nazarenes didn't know anything about what was going on in the world. The Romans were fixated on improving roads throughout Israel, and that allowed family and friends and the occasional outsider to travel to Nazareth. The townspeople would hear about the Jewish zealots who tried to fight the Romans, but exposure to the outside world was definitely more limited for the people in Nazareth. In many ways, Mary and Joseph's lives were similar to their ancestors before them. It is a fact that God selected two people Mary and Joseph who were humble and poor, yet part of a tight-knit community to be the parents of Jesus. Now this makes perfect sense to me because in this environment, Jesus could be raised like every other Jewish child and would be protected from Herod or Caesar. An alternative take on Mary's life. I mentioned a little earlier that one ancient writer tried to fill in the missing blanks about Mary's life. So let me tell you more about that. In an earlier episode, episode two, I talked about how various people in ancient days would write letters or books and then attach a famous person's name to them. These works are known as the pseudepigrapha. One such book, the Infancy Gospel of James was supposedly written by James, the brother of Jesus, and supposedly based on early oral tradition. And it tells a much different story about Mary's upbringing from the version I just told you. Let's take a minute to walk through this book's version of Mary's childhood. According to the Infancy Gospel of James, Mary's parents were Joachim and Anna, They were a pious, well-to-do, but childless couple. They prayed continuously for a child. An angel suddenly appears to Anna, telling her that she would conceive a daughter. Anna gives birth to Mary. Because Mary has a special status, her parents decide to give her to the priest at the temple in Jerusalem to raise. Now, they handed Mary over when she was just three years old, and Mary grows up in the temple, living a sheltered life, intended to protect her virgin status. She was set aside from birth for her role of becoming the mother of Jesus. When Mary turned 12, a council of priests gathered together to choose Mary's husband, and ultimately, after rejecting many candidates, they selected Joseph. Now, Joseph was an older widow who already had kids. Thus, any mention of Jesus' brothers and sisters, as we see in Mark and Matthew, must refer to Joseph's children from his first wife. This means that technically, Jesus would be their step-sibling instead of their half-sibling. Now, at least you think this story is a bit off the wall, consider this. Because this book the Infancy Gospel of James was supposedly written by Jesus's brother and was based on stories about Jesus's life, it is taken seriously by both the Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Church. In fact, this story is part of their claims that Mary was a perpetual virgin, a virgin for all times, and her special status as a perpetual virgin and the mother of Jesus, is why she is so highly revered in these two churches. Well, as a scholar and a Protestant, I have to agree with many other scholars who dismiss this book as false. And why is that? Well, it was written in the second or third century AD, so a significant time after Jesus had died. And it lacks any biblical support And as a Bible scholar, well that's just key to me, none of that story made it into the final form of the Bible, which means it was dismissed as false by the founding church fathers. But it is fascinating to consider how churches develop some of their beliefs based on the early oral tradition of Christianity. Looking closer at the much more likely life of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth gives me a more complete picture of this important couple. They were among the poorest class of people in Israel. They grew up in a small town where their families had lived, and they may have lived there for generations. Mary and Joseph followed the same way of life as their parents had before them and they had a tight-knit community. They were a young, ordinary Jewish couple. In many ways, that was a good thing for Jesus growing up. He most certainly grew up like every other boy in the village, and he was loved and nurtured by his parents and kept out of harm's way. I think God had the right plan in mind when he picked Mary and Joseph as the earthly parents for Jesus. what it means to us today. I think Mary and Joseph's story can teach us some valuable spiritual lessons today. The fact that he lived in a small town and grew up with a big family makes him more relatable to me. There is no question that Jesus experienced many of the same life experiences we all have, like how to get along with your siblings, minding your parents, and learning how to make your way in the world. I think that means that Jesus can relate to all of our emotions around relationships. I just feel like he gets it. God's plan for his son included picking an ordinary young couple who showed extraordinary obedience to the calling by God. What makes Mary and Joseph so special is how ordinary they really were, yet how they fully obeyed God. The same could be said about any of us. We may live ordinary lives, but we are our most extraordinary when we are following God's calling for our lives. Next time on the JC. Next time on the JC, I'll tell you about the two authors who wrote about Jesus's birth in the Bible, the Apostle Matthew and Luke. And I'll jump into Luke's version of the Nativity story. The Jesus Chronicles is written and produced by Sandy Laws. It is edited by Stacy Stutt. Check out my website at www.thejesuschronicles.org for more episodes, information, research sources, and illustrations. Thanks for listening!